Good morning. I'm glad to have you here and online. And uh, the chance to be talking about God and what He has done for us. Uh, one of the questions as we go through discipleship that we ask ourselves sometimes is, how are you adoring God? And uh, didn't we do that this morning in a sense? Praise to the Lord the Almighty, right? Why? Because He has done so many wondrous things. Can you, can you, again, just step back and see, again, the Almighty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and yet He is concerned about you. He is concerned about me. He's concerned about the, the difficulties we go through. He's concerned about the storms that we face. He's concerned about the, the world that we live in. And He humbled Himself, sent His Son to die on a cross. So that we have hope and we have peace and we have love. Not just for this life, but for eternity. That we might walk with him and be with him. What a great God we have. And this morning as we focus in on uh, who we are as the church and remembering the church, it all comes back to understanding who God is and what he is doing in our world, right? He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why? Because he is calling out a people to his name from every tribe and tongue and nation. Not only are we called, but we are community. This isn't just about you, this is about us. That we reflect together a people living together, working together, serving each other, loving one another in such a way that God is glorified and honored. And primarily that happens through the... As we receive forgiveness, we, we release forgiveness to others. As we receive mercy, we show mercy. And yet, that is not all we are doing. We are also commissioned. We have a mission as a community and as a, and individuals to do what God wants us to do, to, to keep the, the work that God is doing going. Not that we keep it going, but that we are involved in the, the work that God is doing. He is inviting us in. I've, uh, I've gotten to the stage in life where I have to change the oil on three or four cars. And uh, yesterday was the, cha the chance for me to change the oil on three cars in one afternoon. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was actually very proud. I, I, I finished that job. Um, did three cars in one afternoon, and, uh, and it actually didn't take too long. One of the reasons why it didn't take too long was because Tad did most of the work, you know. <laughs> and uh, he, he did two of the cars, and I did one of the cars, and uh, that, was, that was actually really good, right? For me, personally, at least. I don't know about for him. I didn't really care what he thought so much. I just wanted to make sure he knew how to do it. And he, he, did, he, he did a good job, at least they're all running. So, 
So far, we're so good. Um, but, but the point is, is that uh, when we talk about making disciples, we're talking about passing on the work that God has for us to do. And, and part of that, 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 that mission that God has for us is not to just be a follower of Jesus, but to make followers of Jesus, to pass it on to the next generation of Christians that they would know what it means to follow Jesus and so that they would then make disciples themselves, right? It's not like, in some ways, I loved how Pastor Albert put it sometimes. It's like, we're not raising adults as from our children. We're raising future grandparents, okay? And that's, have to, you have to think sometimes as you think not only about raising your own family, but you think about raising and, and building up the body of Christ and making disciples. Is We're not just making Christians here. We're making future Christians who are grandparents, of other Christians. And that's what we see here in Matthew chapter 28. If you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 28, at the end of Jesus' life, his work was not done to call out people from all tribes and tongues and nations was not done yet. But he had done what God had called him to do. And so, He commissions his disciples, and we call it the Great Commission because it is to all Christians in that sense everywhere. But he's talking to his disciples, and he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, verse 16 of Matthew 28, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here we have the Great Commission, and it starts with the authority that Christ has, right? He he has this authority because he has won the victory over sin and death. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And though he's not recognized that by the entire world yet, yet still he is that, he has won that position by going to the cross and dying in our place and rising again. And so he says, all all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's what, because I'm in charge, here's what I want you to do. Make disciples of all nations. And that is the key command in the verse. Now, English is hard sometimes to translate and get all the nuances here, but if you've been around Crossroad for a while, you realize that that, that that is the key command. All the other words around it that sound like commands are all describing, they're all, they're all describing what it means to make disciples. And they are, therefore, they are imperatives because the make disciples is an imperative, it's a command. But they're all describing what it means. And so the first one there, go therefore, is better, probably better translated. As you are going, as you're going through life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's not like he's leaving us alone. He is with us and of course, we, we learn more about what it means to, for him to be with us from Luke and then Acts. As Jesus said, I'm sending the promise of the Father to you. And the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And therefore, he is even now with us. 
not just here as a body in that sense, but also individually as you go through life, the Holy Spirit is there confirming that Christ is with you, that he is, is helping you, that he is for you, empowering you to do what he commands you to do here in, in Matthew 28. So making disciples, and we have to therefore keep that mission in focus. We need to keep the mission in focus because there are a lot of things that we might think that God wants us to do, and we might actually need, God God does want us to do those things, but as a church, as a community, here is the key command that we are commissioned to do, to make disciples. Therefore, we make disciples by... How does that work? Making disciples by helping them identify with Jesus through baptism. So it just starts with, in a sense, saying, hey, you are, you, you are identifying with Christ. Just as Pastor Chris read the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's saying, hey, what, what prevents me from being baptized? Because I believe this message. And the baptism in that culture was an identification with the, the message or the teaching that had been given to them. They are identifying, saying, this is, this is my, this is what I believe for myself. This is the, the, the message that I'm identifying with publicly. That this, is, this is what I believe. This is how I'm going to live as a result of what I believe. And so Christian baptism is that, that picture of Christ being buried in death and then rising to new life. And you're identifying with that message that that this is what Christ has done, and therefore I have new life in him, and I'm living that out before others. And he's saying here we should, we should make disciples by helping people get baptized, identify with that message, and proclaim that publicly to those around them that this is what they believe, and this is how they want to live. Not only that, but he goes on to say, not only are you helping baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's also saying, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, so why? Why do we need to teach, once they've identified with Christ, why do, why do you need to teach them? Why? Because they need to live a certain way. They need to live a certain way. You see, this word disciple is not something that's, that's really a concept that's in the Old Testament per se. It's there a little bit, but not much. It's much more a concept that Greek culture had developed. If you think back to Aristotle and Plato, right? They had, they had disciples. They, they, they made disciples, and those disciples were a, a few things. They were, first of all, listeners and learners. You remember, you know, we, even still, we still have the Aristotelian method, right, for teaching, where you ask questions, and you keep asking questions, and Aristotle's disciples listened to Aristotle, learned from him, and then they mimicked his style, okay? They mimicked his style. They would, they would learn his way of learning, and then they would try to teach that others to others, mimicking his style of doing things. And they were committed to it. If you became a, a, a disciple of, of Aristotle, you were committed to him, you didn't go around thinking, okay, who else can I learn from? And he's like, I'm a disciple of Aristotle. I'm a disciple of Plato. I'm going to learn from him. I'm mean, committed to him. The Jews in the intertestamental period picked up on this style of operating, this style of working. And so they, they did the same thing, but they added a few things to it. They were listeners and learners as well. They obeyed and mimicked because they had an authority there that was even more so than than just 
uh, a human figure. They had the word of God, and so they had this authority to obey and mimic their teachers, and so they had rabbis, and so they would have these rabbis who would go around and teach and make disciples. And a few of them are mentioned even in the New Testament, Gamaliel, others had, had disciples, and they would teach, and, and they, 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 were, they were committed to that teacher. And then when that teacher died, the Jews would start a fellowship, a community, based around the teaching of that teacher, that rabbi. And they would keep that, that teaching going. Another, someone else would rise up to keep the teaching going, but it would be about this teaching that had taken place. Jesus here is taking that same model, in a sense, of, that was, had been developed in the Greek and Jewish cultures to this point, is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to keep this going. And so he's very clear in the New Testament as you read through his teaching, he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you need to understand what it means. And so we talk about being a listener, right? John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. <laughs> they listen to me. They follow me. They're learners, right? You, Come all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. Take my burden and learn of me, right? Saying this is what it means to listen to Christ, to, to learn from him, to obey him. John chapter 17, again, if you, if you were my disciple, keep my word, even praise to the Father that his disciples would keep his word, right? Mimic the idea. First, Paul's very clear. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? That, that, that it's not just a, a set of knowledge, a set of propositions that you need to learn. It's a lifestyle you need to live. Fellowship. Mark chapter 3 talks about the, the he's saying, hey, the, the, you're, in, you're in this together. I've gathered you as disciples that you would be in fellowship. John, First John, Jesus, John's telling his, his disciples there, he's saying, hey, I want you to have fellowship with me. And truly our fellowship is with the Father. This fellowship that we have together. And again, they're committed. Christ said, right, in Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. If you think you can save your life, <laughs> you'll lose it. But if, you, if you're willing to give up your life, you'll save it. So they're committed. When Jesus added two things beyond those, he talks about serving. He says, Mark chapter 10, verse 35, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christian disciples serve Christ and serve one another. And they also suffer. Jesus is clear in multiple places, but in Matthew 5.10, he talks about the fact that if you're his disciple, you, blessed are those who, who suffer for righteousness' sake. He's saying you're going to suffer. This is part of following Jesus, being a disciple. And so when he says make disciples, this is what he's talking about. It's not, a, it's not a nebulous concept for them. They've seen it operating in the culture. They've seen it operating even in how they treat Jesus. They called him rabbi, teacher at times. They, you, you, everybody recognized him as a, as a rabbi. They didn't always want to follow that particular rabbi, right? And Jesus was making a claim beyond being just a rabbi to being 
the rabbi, the God in the flesh, right? It's not everybody wanted to believe that. And so some left, right? And Jesus turned to his disciples in, jo- in the Gospel of John. is like, are you going to leave me too? And Peter's like, where else can we go? You have the words of life. <laughs> We're committed. We understand what it means to be disciples of you. And so when Jesus then says, this is the mission that I've called you to do, to make disciples, he's not just saying, okay, you've become disciples, stay disciples. He's saying, now that you've become disciples, make more disciples. Make more disciples, not just of, of you know, your friends around you, but make disciples of the nations. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, as Mark says, or here it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, this was a radical concept for those Jewish men, right? And they had to get it through their thick skulls that that didn't just mean make everyone Jews. And so you have Acts and the, the controversy in Acts that God helps Peter, first of all, understand. Now, I'm not talking about making everyone Jewish. And he lets down the sheet and says, what you call unclean, I call clean. Don't call what I call clean, unclean. He's not talking about the animals there. He's talking about the Gentiles. That's why we are a part of the church today. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles saying, hey, we're all part of this. Make disciples of all nations. And so this is, this is what God has called us to do. And I just want to, so that mission is in focus. So let's just talk about that as some things that this is not, Okay. Making disciples is, first of all, not revival, okay? We're not focused on creating revival. Revival is a great thing. The Holy Spirit at various times in history has moved in a marvelous way. Multiple thousands of people getting saved roughly at the same time, changing cultures. We talk about the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. We talk about, you go back into various points in church history, and God has done that. It's a great and wonderful thing. But The normal way God works is just for disciples to make disciples. And if we sit sit around saying, okay, God, make a revival happen, we should pray that revival happens. We, We should pray that revival happens in the United States. We should pray that revival happens in Canada and South America and Africa and Asia, okay? We should pray for that, that the Holy Spirit would work. But we shouldn't just be like, okay, that's, we can't do anything <laughs> except wait for that to happen. Revival is good, it's, it's important, but it's not what Christ commanded us to do. Why? Because God controls revival. He just wants us to do what he's asked us to do to, to make disciples. And so making disciples is not revivalism. It's not just waiting for revival to happen, nor is making disciples apologetics okay? Apologetics is that idea that we're defending the faith. We're making the faith reasonable to people. When you talk about science or you talk about um, different ethics, you're saying, how do, how, how, does, how do we defend what we believe and make it reasonable to people? That's good and part, maybe part of discipleship, but it's not discipleship, Okay? Part of the reason for that is because the Bible argues clearly that it's self-evident to people that God exists if they would just, if they would look. (laughs) Romans chapter 1 makes it clear. He's like, this is self-evident. 
If you look at the world around you, you realize we didn't start from nothing. Something started something here. And that, that whatever started it is powerful and, and way more powerful than me. <laughs> okay? And that should start you on a path to seeing who God is and listening for his voice. You can't argue someone into faith because if they don't want to see it, they're not going to see it. That doesn't mean that we don't present arguments that we're not seeing. This is reasonable. Look at the world around you. Look at the human eye. (laughs) Look how that intricate and involved that is. How did that just come into being? Did it just happen by chance? No. It's way too complicated. It's a reasonable argument. Will it convince everyone? No. It won't. You can't argue people into it. They have to, they have to think it through. You have to present some reasonableness to it, but then you have to just say Look around you. Look for yourselves. Because Hebrews chapter 11 says, those who seek God, find him. If you're seeking, he will be found. But if you're not trying to seek, you won't find him. So you can't argue people in. Again, discipleship is not revival, nor is it apologetics. It's just the faithful process of helping people identify with who Jesus is and what his message is by faith and baptism and then teaching them what Jesus taught us so they can pass it on and live a life in such a way that they show hope to the world. Now, you say, well, how did that happen? What, what was a practical way that we go about making disciples? Well, it's pretty clear if you go to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, the practical, practicality of this is, is all there. There's, there's two parts to this. One is, again, as a church, you, you realize that through, through the New Testament, most of the books of the New Testament after the Gospels are written to churches. Romans was written to the church in Rome. Col- Colossians was written to the church in Colossae. Corinthians, the first and the second book, were, were written to the church in Corinth. Okay, so there's these churches that started to exist in different parts of the of the world, and Paul is writing because making disciples isn't necessarily easy. Okay, it's not just you say, "Oh, it's just straightforward, make disciples." Yes, but it's not easy because a lot of things come into play and a lot of questions come into play. So you have all these books written to churches saying, "This is how you make disciples." And he, in Colossians chapter four, he just summarizes our relationship to the world in this way. He says. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I make it, make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walks in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here, he's gone through and talked about how to think as a Christian, how to understand how you, who you are really in Christ. And now at the end, he's like, just generally, as Christians, what do you need to do? And here's just, in a sense, probably point number two, doing the mission in practice. How do we make disciples? 
says, first of all, pray. <laughs> Continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray, pray for yourself. Pray for others. He says, pray here for me. Pray for, he said, as an apostle, I need prayer. That I would speak clearly. <laughs> I, need to, I need to present the message of Christ and who he is and the teaching of Christ clearly and pray that I'd be able to do that. Pray and then walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. He's like, just as you're going, again, this is kind of as you're going concept. So what are you doing as you're going to baptize and teach people? He said, as you're going, pray. And as you're going, be wise. Think wisely about how you're using your time. Think wisely about how you're relating to, uh, to, to your unsaved neighbors and friends and co-workers. And then, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And the, the metaphor for salt here is not this idea that, just a, that you're always talking about God. It's just saying that you're you're wise in how you're in your graciousness. You're wise in your graciousness. So, so doing the mission of practice is as you're going, what are you doing? You're praying. You're, you're wisely interacting with people and speaking graciously to people. Why? First Peter makes it clear that we would speak of the hope that we have. We speak, that's kind of that idea of seasoned with salt. We're, we're, we always have speech that's hopeful speech. That's why in Philippians, when he's talking about making disciples, he's like, hey, don't go around complaining and murmuring all the time. Why? Because you've got hope. You've got hope as believers. And so this is, this is what we are doing. As we're going, we're seeking to make disciples by praying one of the things we're going to talk about in the, in the business meeting, our annual business meeting, follow for members, but just how do, can we encourage prayer as a community, right? How do we encourage that in our lives? You know, it was, it was cool. We've got the, uh, a prayer boost that happens on Wednesday nights, and this year, it ha- because of COVID, etc., we did it via Zoom. And, uh, and I couldn't, once kind of the Wednesday nights had started back up. I couldn't be a part of it, so my dad led it. A few others have led it, too, through the, the weeks. And at one point, dad emailed out. I was like, what can I pray for? And I was like, you know what? I'm, my, I've got this relationship with, with one of my neighbors, and, but it feels like it's stuck. It's not going anywhere. Can you just pray about that? Um, you know what? Like 48 hours later after they prayed, I got a text from my neighbor like, hey. I was like, how did that happen? Well, it didn't just happen. It was prayed about. People were praying for my relationship with my neighbor. And God was, started to work in that situation. And we act wisely with, with, with our neighbors. We act wisely. It's not saying we're like the super spiritual people. We just act wisely. You realize you're not going to be totally super spiritual with your neighbors all the time. You get that, right? I mean, we all have bad days, right? You know how that goes? We all have things that happen. How do you walk wisely when you don't have a when you're not having a good day? You apologize, you know. Like yesterday, um, just to give you an example, uh, uh, Annalisa's our last one is is playing a little soccer. Uh, she's and uh, she's a five year old, so she's in these groups, and it's it's a situation where they they just kind of organize the teams, and everybody shows up, and the parents kind of coach, and it's kind of random, and. 
And I'm also the president of our soccer club in Gilbert. And so uh, I was there, you know, you're kind of a dual operating. I'm a parent to Annalisa. I'm the president of the club, although I've got a mask on. Nobody knows really who I am. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so I'm trying to operate here. And some of the, so sometimes I've gotten in there and helped the game happen. And, but there are some other parents happening. So I was like, you know what, I just need to step back. And, and let those parents step up. You know, that's good. I don't want to be coaching forever. And uh, kind of like with Tad, I don't want to be changing oil forever either. Um, and, and so I was standing on the sideline, and my neighbor, uh, one, of my, one of my neighbors, she was, he has kids in that age group, and his, his, one of his was playing on the same team uh, as Annalisa, and he's, he's standing there too watching the game. He's got another girl uh, on another field right, right next to that go, playing too, and they're all playing, and he's kind of going back and forth. And I, uh, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I'm not just here, you know, as you're going, I'm not just here to play soccer. I'm not just here to be a parent to Annalisa. I'm, I'm not just here as president of the club, I'm also here as a Christian, as commissioned by God with a, with a mission. Uh, I need to pray about my neighbor. I need to wisely interact with my neighbor in order that I can speak, hopefully, graciously to them. And so I was like, I can't just, like, hey, you, you cheer for your daughter. I'll cheer. I, I, how's it going? You know, we started talking about different projects we're working on. Just, just started interacting. That's all I did. Not because, again, I've got all this wisdom. I've got, hey, or, you know, let's talk about God right now while we're watching our kids play soccer. That's never going to happen, you know. But I can cheer on his kids. I can care about what's going on in his life. And then ultimately, I can start living with hope in front of him in order that he might see that there's something different, that I have hope that he doesn't have. And then I can talk about the God who gives me hope and the Christ who died so that I know that I have hope. It's what it means to make disciples. It's not rocket science. It just takes realizing you're on a mission. You're on a mission. Christ has saved you not just to say, okay, you've got your golden ticket to heaven and you're fine now. He saved you and he's called you on a mission to speak hope to those around you. Can I transition to Pastor Awful here for a second? Okay. I'm going to step on some toes because I see Christians often not speaking with hope. Not speaking with hope. Just some areas that I see where we don't talk with hope. Um, sometimes we're all worried about what the government's going to do about our guns, what our government's going to do about our freedoms, and we don't talk about that in hope at all. You know what? God could take away my guns. God could take away my, my freedoms. I can still do the mission God has me to do. I can still do what he's called me to do. Sometimes we, we're so focused on the government. We're so focused on, well, what's the government going to do next? Is it going to give me that stimulus check? You know, I was, I was worried about mine, man, because it was delayed. And I was like, what's going to happen? You know? But is that talking with hope? Is that living with hope? Because I'm so focused on what the government's going to do for me that I'm not living with hope. Sometimes we're so focused on justice. Man, we got to get this right and this right. We have, to, we have to solve the problems of this world. You realize, you realize, 
But until Jesus returns, the, the problems of this world will continue. And it's not that we don't work on those at times. It's that we have a hope beyond justice in this life. We have a hope beyond justice for, for this life. And we need to live in that hope. Some of us talk, are talking about career and retirement. We're just all worried about how our retirement, our 401k is going to go. And we're not living in hope. And we're not talking with hope about retirements or our careers. Sometimes we're uh, not talking. We're, we're all worried about how our family's going and all the things that we're doing to our family. And we're worried about our kids. None of that's wrong. But none of, if you're not living in hope with that, then again, you're not living in hope. We have hope, right? We just sang about it, and hopefully you are singing it and meaning it, right? Jesus Christ is alive. He is at work in our world. He, you know what? I could, I could be, you know, let's just posit crazy scenarios. Russia takes over the world, and we all get dragged by Russia to some Siberian gulag where we have to live as slaves. I still have hope, Right? Because my life is not about this life. It's about what Jesus has done for me. And even if I die in a Russian gulag for whatever reason, I'm going to be risen one day. And I'm going to stand in his presence. And if I've been living in hope and walking with him and, and trusting him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to be like, why didn't you stop the Russians taking over? You know, Why didn't you do that? He's going to be, you lived in hope. You lived by faith. That's, what's, that's what I wanted you to do. And that's what he means when he says, as you are going. As he says, you know, if you, if you, need, if you feel like God wants you to buy a gun to protect your family, buy a gun. But then don't say, oh, my gun's going to give me hope because I've got a gun. I can protect my family. Tell the people around you. I got a gun, but man, I'm just trusting Jesus. <laughs> trusting God's goodness in my life, his, his graciousness to me, because that gun can't give me hope. I've got hope beyond that. But I believe God wanted me to do this, just as a responsible citizen. You see, see the difference there? If you're talking about justice, and you feel like there's some issue of justice, you need to get involved, and you need to say, hey, I, I want to get my voice out there. I want us to be heard about this issue. Do it. But then don't but don't talk about how the world is such a horrible place. Talk about the hope we have in Christ. The hope we have, regardless of what justice takes place. If you're talking about your family, and you, you, you do some things with your kids, love your kids, spend time with your kids, build into your kids, that's all good things to do. But your hope is not in what, how your kids turn out. Your hope is in Jesus. You see the difference? We live as Christians commissioned by God because we have hope. We don't look at the world around us and think, how do we get the world to change? We look at the world around us and say, how do we help people realize that God has rescued us from this world to give us hope in the next? Even as you're serving in church, you're doing it because you have hope. You know, this isn't anything new. 
Psalm 46 says it clearly. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. You know what? They were afraid of climate change, oceans rising, 400 B.C. approximately when this was written. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We have hope, though the earth give way. Can you just imagine for a second, like standing on the edge of some precipice, and all the earth is caving in around you. It's, the world is done. Our planet is history. It's falling apart. And you're standing there saying, but I have hope. I'm not going to be afraid. That's what this verse is saying. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is with us, and that's just right here. Jesus says that to us, right, in Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's always with us. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we can stay on mission. Therefore, we can make disciples of all nations. So, as you are going, as God leads you and directs you, you make decisions, you lead your family, you, you, you pick a career or whatever, make decisions saying, I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to live in hope. I'm going to pour into others. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded you. That's because he is our source of hope. It goes back to what I talked about with David. When David looked around him, saw all that he was going through and was like, I'm, I'm headed to the Philistines. <laughs> he stopped having hope. But God didn't give up on him. And God rescued him and brought him back and ultimately made him king. We live in God's grace. It's not based on our performance. It's not even based on our ability to live in hope because we all fail at that sometimes. It's based on God's grace and him keeping his promises. So again, we're back to every day living. I've got God's grace. He's going to keep his promises today. So, Who's, is a question we've asked, and we've said it a few times, Pastor Chris has said it a few times, who's your one? You know what, making disciples is not, you know, it's not all about, okay, I need to get 15, 20 people, I need to make disciples. No, it's just one or two. Who are, who are the people in your life that God has put on your heart, and you're saying, just, this is the person I'm going to love. This is the person I'm going to seek to make disciples with. Who's your one? Just one person. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker. People be like, you know what? I'm going to build that relationship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to live wisely in front of them. And I'm going to speak of the hope that I have. Who's your one? Are you a disciple? It starts there. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died and rose again? to rescue all of mankind? 
that's true, then you are a disciple of Jesus. Will you make a disciple? Will you seek to love and pray and walk wisely and speak in such a way that Jesus is made known? Who's your one? Because we have a mission that God has given us. Let's be about it. Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful that we're not just called, and we're just not just a community, but we are a called community that is commissioned to the mission you have call, given to us to make disciples. Lord, it, it isn't easy. You see so many, so many books written because it's not easy to do all the time. Mistakes happen, challenges happen. But as we're going, help us as, a, as individuals and as a community, as a church, to make disciples together. Lord, we know we are weak, but you are strong. Lord, we, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Lord, we don't, we don't know uh, all the... We, there's so many challenges and questions and concerns we have, and yet... We know the one who died for us, who loves us, who is even now seated at your right hand praying for us. So help us to walk in hope. Help us to live in hope. Help us to share our hope. In your son's name we pray. Amen.